if what we're paying is below market rate, mm-hmm. if it's less than what the job is worth, then even good culture isn't necessarily going to attract people yeah. to the job, especially because depending on how low we're really talking about, we have the conversation of the pain point. Mm-hmm. So that's usually where I start in trying to help coach anyone through the hiring process is that every individual, every family has what we call a pain point. And this is the the dollar number that you require every year to keep from having to worry about your power getting shut off, Mm -hmm. to keep from having to worry about whether or not you can pay your car tap, Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that your kids have enough food to eat. Mm -hmm. And anytime an employee, a a team member is living below that pain point, they will never be fully present at work. Welcome. To the Critical Path with Mary and Jason, a podcast about business development, company culture, and loving the place you work just a little bit more. But like a lot more. A lot more? Yeah. That'd be good. Well, so I when I when I wrote the intro, I went with a little bit more mm-hmm. because I thought, what if you really already, you know, I, I think I said something initially, it was like learning to love the place you work. And I'm like, well, no, that's no. negative. No, no. That's negative because you yeah. got to already love the, hopefully you already love where you no. work. This is the lot a bit more episode because we're talking about compensation. There. Okay. All right. All right. I'm loving the place you work just a lot a bit more. Just a lot of it. <laughs> so, so this is episode 32. And like Jason just spoiled, oh. we're talking about compensation. Because <clears throat> who doesn't? You can't do that because I'm not. I'm cutting out the whole part <laughs> before the episode where we talked about how you clear your throat to be disapproving and okay. a jerk. Okay, pay attention. Watch for it. Uh, get your jetpacks on. Get your jetpacks on. Get your jetpacks on. Jason is this week no longer cranky because the workers up above have moved on to another section of the building. <laughs> yeah, don't let them hear you say that. But. So last week, we talked about hiring with respect to company culture, Uh, and it's important. No, it wasn't last week. It was a few weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Yeah, last week, we were talking about tasking. Three weeks ago? Three weeks ago. That sounds right. Yeah. We talked about hiring uh, with regards to culture, Mm -hmm. and and we really talked about how important culture is when you're trying to hire, that money's not the only factor. Oh, is this the... uh, you think you have a recruiting problem, but you actually have a culture problem. Exactly. Uh, and what we talked about then that was is that episode twenty-five. That's like weeks ago. That's weeks ago. Yeah. But the point is, so okay, what we're I'm bringing up that old stuff. Right. What I'm getting at there is, we talked about how there are a lot of other factors than money. A lot of times, people who are hiring tend to think it's all just the money. It's the mm-hmm. dollars and the cents. And the truth is, there's a lot more to it than that. But the dollars and the cents mm-hmm. do matter. Yeah. Ultimately, we can't use company culture to pay our rent. Yeah, you cannot pay your power bill with company culture. It's true. Yeah. So it's important that if you want strong people, we need to be able, we need to be willing to actually pay for them. Absolutely. Right. Those those talented people are not going to work for you if they can't make ends meet. Absolutely, and that's when you're looking for strong people, especially because often when we talk to people, they don't say you know what, get me someone who's a beginner. Get me someone who wants to come here and learn more about how to do what we do. Usually when people want help, they want someone with experience in the industry. They want someone who's an A player. They want someone who can come in and just run with it. So typically those people aren't cheap. No, you have to pay for that. If you're a professional, if you require very little training or oversight, then 
you are entitled to a fair amount of compensation to go along with that. There's a there's a market element here that people who are experienced in the industry are what everyone in your industry wants right now. Mm -hmm. And so if someone else is willing to pay more than you are, then that's where they're going to go. It is a seller's market. It's true. So I think an interesting component of this conversation is I think everyone tends to understand that we need to pay for our tools. Right, our physical tools. Our physical so tools. When we're working with our hands, when we're working in the field, in the trade, it's important that we have tools that serve us well. Absolutely. Right, so when I first started off in roofing and Mary spent a, a year with me in the field. Mm-hmm. A summer I, in the field. Summer, yeah. A summer. It's not a whole year. <laughs> so initially, we started off just using hammers and nails. Right? Yep. Hammers and nails, no roofing guns. I remember talking to you early on and you said the great thing about a roofing company is you can get your foot in the door mm-hmm with nothing but a ladder and a hammer. Yeah, and a truck. And a truck. Yeah. Gotta have a truck. Yeah. But well, I guess you don't have to. So our, I was pretty fast, even with a hammer and just nails, but that no matter what you do, you wind up with busted knuckles and your production rate is slow. Yeah. Uh, and so that is far and away different than using a roofing gun in that, that you can increase your productivity uh, tenfold, not tenfold, double. Yeah. Pretty easily double or triple your production rate just by using that tool. I don't think I ever worked with a hammer. I think I got a, a nail gun from my oh, yeah. first day. Yeah, That well, was we, probably pretty important to me making it to the end of the summer. And so we could use hammers and, and just hammer nails and use that as our, our method of production mm-hmm. uh, because it's cheap, because it doesn't cost much to get in the door. Um, I remember years where we use circular saws for all sorts of purposes that they were never intended for. We would use them to dado out wood or to dado out uh, um, door frames. We What's would, dadoing? Dadoing is basically uh, you cut out the back of something so that it creates a hollow channel. Okay. And so you would just run it through multiple times kind of at an angle and work it through over and over again. It's dangerous and yeah, it sounds like a bad thing to use a circular and saw. It's sloppy, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but how did you get out of that with all your fingers intact? But that was all we had. I so know. we just had circular saws and we didn't have high end equipment. Um, and I remember a, a story about we were working on a roof and it was a three, three and a half story apartment building. Oh, I remember this one. And we bungeed three extension ladders together. So they're held together with bungees and we're putting them together one by one to get access to this roof. And this thing is just, it's like 50 feet in the air and it's just strapped together with some bungee straps, not yep. even like rubber straps, but just yep. the, the uh, vinyl. Or not just bungees. Yeah, just bungee straps. And so we used what we had to get that work done. It was by no means safe, and and I would never stand for that on any job site that I'm working on now. Mm -hmm. But we were kids, and it was 19 years old, and just trying to make a living and and trying to get the work done. So then after that, after my roofing and siding experience, I moved on to work with a custom home builder, and uh, his name was Clark. And this guy had every tool known to man Uh, He had every tool that you needed to do the job correctly. And what I found after I actually learned how, I learned that there were tools that were intended for for unique purposes. Mm -hmm. You don't use a circular saw for 30 different applications. You use the specific saw that's appropriate for that need. Mm -hmm. And the output of that is, is 
you wind up with a much higher quality product mm -hmm. and you can put it together much faster uh, in, in a short amount of time and much safer. Yep. I remember before you worked with Clark, you telling us having a conversation where you said you just didn't understand how people built cabinetry because you didn't understand how you could ever get to the level of precision yeah. for everything to be able to close right and fit together right. Mm -hmm. And then after you started with Clark, then you felt like everything changed. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it was your precision changed by a great deal. When he probably had $150,000 of tools in mm -hmm. his garage, mm -hmm. uh, and, and he had a tool for every single thing you could think of. Yep. But it was much more expensive, but the production rate was higher, the, the quality was higher, the safety was higher. Mm -hmm. And if you compare that to my methodology, getting started with a, a hammer and nails and a mm -hmm. circular saw and three bungee ladders, well, we know that if we only pay for the circular saw and for the hammer and nails mm -hmm. and for the ladders, we're gonna be more likely to have a bad outcome. And we know that if we pay for the higher end tools, we're going to be more profitable mm -hmm. and we're gonna be safer and we're gonna be more effective. Um, so it, it makes sense that that by, by spending money on our tools that we're more likely to have a good outcome. And again, I think that is the, the default. I can't think of any of our clients who I know who don't have that that solid understanding mm -hmm. of the way that you need to invest in your tools and your materials. Yeah. I don't know anyone who is just constantly trying to skimp on all of their tools and materials. They yeah. know that if you don't have solid tools and materials, you're not gonna get the job done. Yeah, and so imagine if you had a $100,000 job and you could use an inferior paint product that's mm -hmm. new on the market, you never used it before, but you're gonna get a price break and you could save $20,000. Mm -hmm. So what would the cost be if that paint failed mm -hmm. because it wasn't tested yet mm -hmm. on, let's say, a $500,000 project, Yep. right? The money is all in the labor and we understand that and we typically don't take those types of risks mm -hmm. for that relatively small reward. So we recognize- well, because what, Yeah, what does it cost to go and fix everything mm -hmm. compared to the little bit of money you saved on the material? Mm -hmm. So it's important that, that we have the right tools, that we invest in our tools, that we maintain our tools, mm -hmm. and we, we make sure that we select those tools to make sure that it is the most productive, mm -hmm. uh, that it gets us where we wanna go. That we're actually using the right tool for the job. And I think that, so again, the, the, the thing we keep coming back to is this understanding is common sense in this industry, I think. And again, generally everybody knows that, it's easy for us to invest in our tools, and it's harder to invest in our people. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that comes back to the fact that it is, it's very easy to trust a tool, mm -hmm. right? Once you understand that tool, you understand exactly what it's gonna do, how it's gonna behave, how long it's gonna work before it's gonna break, when it's gonna need its, its blade changed, mm -hmm. if it's a saw or whatever that is. Um, I think it's very easy for people to trust tools. Mm -hmm. It's harder to trust people. Well, and and the, the analogy here is that the people that we're working with that work for us, they are our tools. Mm -hmm. They're they're no different than our tools. It's just that we have to use a different measurement system to be able to understand how efficient they're working. Mm -hmm. and well, and I think the, the problem is where, where people often have metrics to understand how well our tools are doing for us. So again, how many jobs do I get out of one of these tools before mm -hmm. it fails? And that's an easy thing to measure and a thing that I think people, it's its very intuitive to measure. So people just do it and they just know. 
Whereas the metrics that we need to build to understand how efficient our people are, they're more complicated. And we aren't all born just knowing how to do that. So I think often those are the things that when we come in, people aren't necessarily measuring those Mm -hmm. things. So when we're trying to recruit and we're trying to bring folks in, if we had a room full of people and we said that we're going to pay them all $10 an hour for a management level position, mm-hmm. the pool of folks that, that would actually be interested in taking that deal, it's going to be very small. So the majority mm-hmm. of the people would leave. Maybe 99 out of the 100 would leave. Mm-hmm. Well, and the people that are going to be interested in taking $10 an hour for a management position, they're people for whom that represents an opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Because the it's work- It's a step over or a step up. Exactly. The, the work itself is probably worth more than that. Mm-hmm. So then when you take the fact that they haven't had that opportunity before, they're new at it, that's a, a new opportunity for them, that value kind of becomes part of the compensation. Mm-hmm. Then if you were to say, change it to $25 an hour, mm-hmm. then that pool of folks who would stay and who would leave, it would shift. And as that number comes up, more and more people are going to be interested in the position. Yeah, absolutely. So it's important that you understand what is this position worth? What is the market rate? And understand that that the better that price is, the better the bait, mm-hmm. the, the bigger pool you have to choose from. Well, and not and just select. the bigger pool, mm-hmm. but the people who have more options will come in later and later as mm-hmm. that price rises so yep. that if I could work anywhere I want and make market rate, why would I take less than that to work for anyone? Like I'm not, if I have tons of options and anyone will hire me because mm-hmm. I have a lot of experience and I'm good at what I do, yeah. then I'm going to look at market rate and above only because why would I take less than that? So we should also be thinking about if we're fishing and, and using bait what other types of perks, what other types of of added features can we throw in to help attract the best talent? Absolutely, but at the same time, if what we're paying is below market rate, Mm -hmm. if it's less than what the job is worth, then even good culture isn't necessarily gonna attract people to the job, especially because depending on how low we're really talking about, we have the conversation of the pain point. Mm -hmm. So that's usually where I start in trying to help coach anyone through the hiring process Mm -hmm. is that every individual, every family has what we call a pain point. And this is the the dollar number that you require every year to keep from having to worry about your power getting shut off, Mm -hmm. to keep from having to worry about whether or not you can pay your car tap, Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that your kids have enough food to eat. Anytime an employee, a, a team member is living below that pain point, they will never be fully present at work. And that pain point is different for every person. And some of that is completely out of our hands. So for example, we were recently talking to a client and they wanted to hire someone who was really great and they really liked him, but he had a daughter who had some medical problems that meant they had very specific needs mm-hmm. with regards to their insurance. and. That was Mm non-negotiable. So sometimes we have pieces like that in place or we have uh, ailing parents we're taking care of and there's a cost to that. These things that that come into our life that change what our pain point looks like in in comparison to other people. 
But I think also it's easy to look at that and go, well, they don't need that much to live. They don't need to have that nice car. They don't need to have that, you know, PlayStation and that refrigerator. (laughs) But ultimately, none of that really matters because ultimately a person kind of gets to choose their pain point. Mm -hmm. And if they can't pay for the lifestyle that they have chosen to live, they are below the pain point. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you owe them that lifestyle. But that means for that person, that is the level of, of income that they require to have focus for the job that they're doing. Yeah, so it's important you understand where that pain point is for them. <coughs> well, and to and understand that we don't get to define that. Yeah, you don't get to define it or really judge it. It doesn't matter. Right. It is what it is. Because I think a lot of times that's kind of the, the demeanor that I hear when you have the conversation about pain point is, well, their pain point doesn't need to be that high. Mm-hmm. It could be lower. And it's like, it's great, but that's... Yeah. You people are, aren't going to change their lifestyle to come work for you. That is the single... Uh, you have the lowest odds of changing someone's pain point for them. If, You're not going to change their behavior. If their in that pain way. point needs to come down, that's going to happen as a result of them mm-hmm. looking for a job for a certain amount of time, making a decision, changing their life, and then maybe they'll come back. So the second question is when we're trying to figure out what a person's worth or how should I determine salary? Not just what a person's worth, but yeah, what mm-hmm. should I pay? Yeah. How much is this tool? How what should this tool I, be? I don't know that I, how much I like that way of looking at it because I think yes, people are part of the input that goes into our work, mm-hmm. but like we don't have to like turn it into people being only tools. Well, in order I think to we just cover that in pain point. Sure. Right. Sure. Tools don't have pain. Right. But <laughs> the the point with uh, market rate is that there is a going rate for this type of position for this mm-hmm. level of experience. So if you look around at your competitors and figure out what everybody else is paying, mm-hmm. uh, then that gives you insight into what you should be paying or what you will likely end up paying. Absolutely. So we just went through a round of hiring and. Uh, pretty much everyone in in that batch, they're in the the same price range yep. uh, for a certain type of position. And that's just what the market carries right now. Mm-hmm. So the, the other critical question is, what can the project or what can your business model afford? Yep. Well, and often we want to look at this from kind of this accounting standpoint, this looking backwards at what have I done in the past? Mm-hmm. So based What do on, I have in my budget available right, to hire someone? Right. So based on what I've made before, can I afford a whole nother salary? Mm-hmm. Where the truth is, if there's plenty of work to go around, then adding a whole nother salary can add a whole nother batch of work that we can do, mm-hmm. which can really change that, that metric. If I add one more worker, how many more dollars can they bring in? Exactly. So it's kind of a, a positive looking forward model. So we need to understand uh, what our model can tolerate. Mm-hmm. And it's important to understand what your existing budget Uh, contains, but also Mm -hmm. how much additional revenue could this person bring in for the company? Absolutely. And again, especially when we're looking at bringing in someone who has the right experience, the right skills, but they're looking for a little more money, what difference can those skills and that experience make? Because if it's going to make them be a lot quicker and easier to onboard, if it's going to mean they can start turning around profit a lot faster, it can absolutely be worth that delta. So when we finally decide what we're willing to pay, what does that say to the prospective team member? It it definitely communicates a message. Mm -hmm. It communicates communicates a message when you say, I want to pay you less than market rate. 
That says something. What about if I figure out what your pain point is and I offer you $2,000 less? Yep, that says something too. Right, or if I find out that this is your target and I'll bring you in and in 90 days I'll give you $5,000 bonus. Yep. That communicates something different. Absolutely, and we recently had a conversation with someone who had said, well, we'll reevaluate your pay after 90 days. Mm -hmm. And at 45 days, this person was killing it, doing an amazing job, turning everything around at the company. And we said, if you go now and give this person the bonus early, Mm -hmm. before the 90 days, you reevaluate, raise the pay, what does that communicate? Because now you're saying, I'm paying attention. I see that you're doing a great job and I want to reward that right now. Yeah, there's no reason why you have to wait for the 90 days. And that 45 days of elevated pay, that delta is next to nothing compared to the message that it sends to that person about how much you appreciate the effort that they're putting in. And also when you pop in commonly is they've been interviewing for a while and then another offer will come in Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks after hiring in Mm -hmm. and then they leave and they take that other position because it was slightly better or it was a bad fit. Whereas when you acknowledge that they're doing a good job and if they are doing a good job and you Mm -hmm. evaluate them Uh, at that point in time, don't wait. It's sort of like the don't wait to say I love you thing. It's true, it's true. Life is too short, so make sure that you communicate that. Yep, absolutely. If you realize that they're worth more than you're paying them, Mm -hmm. don't hope they don't notice. That's not the way to go about it. So when I worked at uh, Lee Crutcher Lewis, one of the the practices that they had for uh, salary evaluation, compensation evaluation, is something that I've taken with me and, and really appreciate is that they would take your total compensation, so they'd have your annual salary, they'd have your bonus, they'd have your healthcare contribution, uh, 401k, medical, dental, vision, all that good stuff, and they would line out a list of every single thing they could think of Mm -hmm. that was actually part of your compensation and line that out on a single sheet of paper. And and even would, down to, I think you had access to a bus pass oh, that yeah. you never actually used. Yeah, yeah. But and that's, Metro that's pass. part of that value. Yeah. And so then they would communicate what is the actual cost of carrying you or, or having you at the company mm-hmm. so that when you're having that negotiation for, for salary, mm-hmm. you think, wow, I mean, they, they really have to pay that much money for me. It communicates all those different parts and pieces that contribute to that total compensation package. Yep. And okay. so we talk about when we are running a project about the idea that if you decide you're gonna you're gonna do a change and you're gonna take care of the cost of that. So you're executing a change order mm-hmm. for a client. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, our position is that rather than just say I'll take care of it for you, yep. I will take the time to actually draft out that change order and add all the dollars and cents up, present that to the customer, and then communicate this is a good client credit. Yep. Right. Put so the we, line right on the change order. Yep. Good client credit, and then put the credit for exactly the amount of that whole change. Mm-hmm. The, so then that way we never lose track of the gift that they gave to them, we exactly, gave to them. Exactly, they can understand what it is that we just gave to mm-hmm. them. And, and in the same way, by doing that for employees, by helping them understand all of the benefits going in, if it's communicated properly, mm-hmm. then that can be a really good way for them to kind of understand what they're really worth to you. So one of the challenges that we face is that in in periods of high, let's say, strong economy, Mm -hmm. then the cost of bringing someone new in makes us kind of stand back and reevaluate what we're paying everybody else. Because if I'm paying everyone else, 
less than market rate right now mm-hmm. because when I picked them up and gave them whatever raises I gave them since then, that was before the market changed. Mm-hmm. So now if I'm paying everyone at my company less than market rate and I want to bring someone in at or slightly above market rate, what is that going to do to the ship mm-hmm. that we're sailing? Yep. So if you've been working as a, a project manager for $75,000 and you've been at the company for 10 years, mm-hmm. And let's say the cost to bring on a project manager now is a hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and their skill level is probably a little bit lower than yours. Mm-hmm. So then there's this maybe rift. a lot lower, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we have to uh, be cognizant of that, and and you could hide everything and keep everything secretive. So the old school way is to say if they talk to each other about what they're making, then that's going to be punishable by firing. And that's, we don't do that. We don't allow that. Yeah, that makes for a messy culture. It makes for a messy culture. But people talk, everybody talks, and everybody figures that stuff out one way or the other. We don't have to announce Mm -hmm. what someone is making. That's probably not a good idea. Right, but it's important that that we're paying our people what they're worth Mm -hmm. to kind of buffer against losing them. Mm -hmm. Because that, we see that in up economies also, where we'll focus so hard on bringing new people onto the team, and while we're not paying attention, people slip out of the back, yep. right? They all leave the our company. That we've invested all this time and training and effort into bringing everyone together into a team, and we keep losing people. Mm-hmm. And so that's usually the product of not acknowledging them and not adjusting them for the current market. Uh, so well, again, this is that conversation about you can't just hope that people don't know mm-hmm. what they're worth. Right. So what does that do to team cohesion if we're bringing somebody in and they're they're at a higher rate than, mm-hmm. let's say, the dedicated loyal employees have been? If people catch wind of that and find out, then how welcoming is the team going to be to that person? How much do they want that person to succeed? But if we want to be successful as an organization, it's important. I always prefer to communicate to my team, look, this is what the market bears, and mm-hmm. we've adjusted your salary, we've adjusted... Mm-hmm. Uh, our compensation for, for everybody here to bring them up. But it's be- important that you've done that because mm-hmm. if you haven't done that, yeah. then that's a problem. Right. But it's important that we have open lines of communication there mm-hmm. uh, so that they understand this is what it takes to bring people on. We're running a business here. We, we have opportunities yep. for more work and, and we need people. This is what it is. Yep. Right. That's the market. Well, the way I see it, again, is we obviously don't need to just put it up on the wall what each person makes. There is some privacy there. But at the same time, it should not be a bombshell if someone finds out what someone else makes. Right. It should not be this this kind of subject of tension where if anyone found out what that person made, yeah. everyone would be upset about right. it. I remember when I was at Burger King. <laughs> Back to the was, Burger King yeah, days. I worked there between 15 and 17. And... Uh, I had, I think I got paid like five fifty mm-hmm. an hour, something like that. Well, you know, it was like two years after that that I made five eighty five as a legal secretary. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's probably. And I remember telling my boss at five fifty, mm-hmm. and I worked part time, <clears throat> and I said, "Because you were in high school." I was in high school, <laughs> and I said, uh, "I don't know how I work myself around to this." I said, look, I just need a raise because I just can't afford my bills right now. And I did have bills. You did have bills. Um, But I said, I I need at least $6 an hour. (laughs) At least $6 an hour. And they said, "Uh, no, but we can give you $5.75. (laughs) Right. That was their counter offer. offer. And I'm like, 
and I think I left after that. But it was over 25 cents an hour. Well, I, and I know that they, they offered you salary, and then that was actually going to take your hourly rate down. Yeah. I went to BKU. <laughs> it was a, basically a recruiting convention where they uh, tell you all of the great things about about well, working at Burger King opportunity mm-hmm. that, that you have in front of you. And I was one of two selected to go there to a regional, <laughs> uh, whatever it was. And uh, then they, they showed us the math and then they showed us, well, you can make this much money per year. And then I did the hour for hour breakout. Mm-hmm. And I said, so if I do that, I'm going to be making less than what I'm making now. <laughs> and they're like, but it's an opportunity, though. To work more. <laughs> no, I'm okay. I'm okay I where I'm at. I think I'm good. Yeah. Anyway, so <clears throat> we're talking about navigating, navigating compensation, and that's mm-hmm. one way to not do it. Yeah. Well, so the next, the next kind of conversation here is talking about region. So mm-hmm. when we're just talking about you making five fifty mm-hmm. at Burger King in Indiana, that was in Indiana. Yeah. It was also decades ago, many years ago, but it was in Indiana. Yeah. And it's important to recognize that different parts of the country have different costs of living associated with them. So mm-hmm. cost of living in rural Indiana is different than the cost of living in Seattle is mm-hmm. different than when we lived in Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, is different than Japan and all over the place. But when we're thinking about recruiting, many times we have to reach out further mm-hmm. and help people move or pay their moving expenses. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we would have gotten to Seattle if Lewis hadn't paid our moving expenses. Mm-hmm. Well, and we did it for $5,000, which is kind of crazy. Oh, I remember because yeah. it was all of us crammed into one U-Haul mm-hmm. and my knees were rammed up into the dashboard. For three and a half days. Yeah, and after like the second day, I made you climb in the back of the U-Haul and get out a cutting board that I could put <laughs> on my knees so that they weren't crammed into the dash anymore. Yeah, that's that's for story time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's important that, that we understand what the cost of living is for certain folks if they're from Seattle or if they're from Tacoma mm-hmm. or, or from Olympia or Spokane, uh, because all of those parts and pieces will figure into that compensation package a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about kind of raising everybody's rates and, and bringing them all up to current market, the, the danger that a lot of people are thinking about is if the market tanks and most certainly if it crashes in the way that it did in 2007 and eight, yeah. um, the fear is that we won't be able to afford to keep our people, yep. right? That we'll grow too fast, that, that we won't have any escape hatches to protect ourselves. Yep. That we, we grow in the summer and then when the winter comes, we can't keep paying for everything that we got over the summer. Yeah. A lot of the folks that we'll meet who've started new companies in, uh, in new markets. And so uh, after after the downturn and let's say post 2011, 2012, yep. there were first time companies that are getting started. Mm-hmm. And so the language that we use for those folks is that oftentimes they're summer children. They're summer children. They've never seen the winter. They have only been in business since everything's been booming. And mm-hmm. if you've been in business for a long time, you're aware of how around here, everything's been booming for kind of a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when things turn down, it looks different. And when you sit down with someone in a room who has been in business since, say, before 2008, mm-hmm they bring with them a different understanding of how all of those moving pieces work as opposed to someone who's like, no, like everything's great. But uh, we we talked to one potential client who never came on and said 
uh, yeah, we don't really have to look for work. Work just comes to us, mm-hmm. and it's great. It works great that way for us. Yeah. And, you know, our answer to that was, right now, that's the way that it works, yeah. but that's not always the way that it works. Right. So you should have a plan for that. Mm-hmm. So when the market turns, it's important that, that we have these kind of contingency plans built out so that we understand what we're going to do when that happens. Um, you can you really just, have a whole episode about downturn really strategy. Could, well, and we have that, that booked. But a couple of high points are, um, you know, one thing we could do would just be cut everybody's wages. Yep. So I'm just going to arbitrarily cut 20%, 25% off of everybody's wage. Which is highly likely going to dump everybody into the pain point yep. because we're all used to living, making what we're making. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also the delivery, the way that that's communicated can be a little bit problematic yep. uh, because they're, they're not necessarily happy with that. And no, other things. Nobody wants to hear that your paycheck's about to go down. Right. And then we could just cut people. So mm-hmm. we spoke with somebody... Uh, I spoke with somebody last week, and and she was part of a, a small team, and she was part-time. They're not doing super well right now, and so they just cut her. Mm-hmm. And she was the part-time that, that got eliminated. Yep. So we kind of downsize, and we're starting to manage less work and, mm-hmm. and cut the people that uh, uh, that they can afford to, to remove from the team. Yep. Um, but one big concept that we should be thinking about in terms of downturn strategy, this is kind of the abbreviated version, is what are other ways that we can provide compensation beyond just base salary? So how can we structure it to begin with so that when the downturn happens, Mm -hmm. we'll have that option to kind of be able to get ourselves through that downturn? And so bonusing can be a helpful piece that if your Mm -hmm. projects do well, so rather than bringing everybody up and just raising their salary, Mm -hmm. you basically raise their additional compensation Mm -hmm. so that in that with that additional compensation, they're on par Mm -hmm. with what it costs to bring somebody on in the current market. So for example, if you're a $75,000 project manager, and you receive a $25,000 bonus for whatever, mm-hmm. then when we have to turn things back down, then you still have a solid income, mm-hmm. but because we're not, we're not profiting mm-hmm. at, to the levels that we were before, mm-hmm. then, then essentially we can reduce that compensation mm-hmm. without it being so blatant or belligerent. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, even though, again, nobody ever wants to hear they're gonna get less money, mm-hmm. no matter what, but if I say to you, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cut your salary because things are going rough. That is taken in one way. When we say everyone's bonuses are going to be lower because things are going rough, mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that people are a little bit more able to kind of lean into. And, you know, if it's done right, you can even kind of, everyone kind of feels like they're they're helping out yeah. to get through the tough times. It's, mm-hmm. We're all a family. We're all together. We're all going to batten down. And uh, instead of Christmas bonuses, we're going to, have, have dinner luck, together, right? right? Yeah. It, it kind of helps that that um, every everyone leaning in together mm-hmm. instead. Whereas I feel like when it's your salary going down, then that feels more like it's threatening your family and your home now in a way that's different than a bonus that goes down. And it can also be helpful to set up profit sharing uh, with folks so that you have mm-hmm. a base salary and then you have some piece of of your bonus that's profit sharing. Yep. So that when the company profits, then you profit too. Yep. And in cases that we're turning down our, our margins because the market won't, won't bear more than that, mm-hmm. then again, we're kind of sharing the load uh, that everybody's carrying there. And the great thing about profit sharing is, you know, often we want to hide from the employees mm-hmm. how the company is doing. 
And then when things take a turn south, then the way that everyone finds out is the what's going to happen yeah. to them. Yeah. Whereas when we're doing things like profit sharing, a natural part of that is that we have to share all that information, all those numbers. And so if they've had the opportunity to pay attention on an ongoing basis to the ups and downs of the company, as the company starts to not do as well, they're going to understand that on a different level than when you just go to them and say, by the way, no bonus this year. So there was a, uh, I would call it a chain, but it wasn't really a chain. A restaurant that we would go to with oh, the kids, yeah. uh-huh. uh, Blue Sea Sushi, mm-hmm. and they're I, I, they're not the top notch sushi place in the world. <laughs> it's not where you go to like uh, show tourists what Seattle sushi is all about. You don't impress a date there. No, no, but it's fun. <laughs> it, it has it's a sushi belt, and the nice thing about our family is everybody could find something that they like there. Yeah. Uh, and so apparently they had six locations or something. And the way that the employees found out that Blue Sea went out of business was basically a sign on the door. They showed up and it was not open anymore. Mm-hmm. And then they called a meeting at a Starbucks across the street. Because they didn't have access to the building anymore. Right. To basically settle up with the employees and give them whatever they were going to give them. Yep. So that's not what you want to do. Right. Right. If things <laughs> aren't going well or if things and- are going well, you want to make sure that you have transparency with your team and your family mm-hmm. uh, and the, the most important part from kind of a philosophical standpoint for for me is that if things aren't going well if if the economy looks rough if the company looks rough most families need as much notice as possible yeah and that was something that I really appreciated with working with Lewis at uh, the end of the downturn there mm-hmm. is I, I said I don't care if you let me go I get it if mm-hmm. if we have to downsize but the most important part for me is that you give me as much notice as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And so as things kind of ramped down and they said, well, we'd love to keep you, but we just don't have any more projects. Yep. Uh, and yeah, they, they said, you can stay working here, but <laughs> at the end of your project, we just won't be paying you yeah. anymore. <laughs> we'll have you on as an employee, but we yeah. just can't pay you. Yeah. And, and they gave me about six months notice that at the end of this mm-hmm. project, then we don't have any more work. Uh, and maybe things will change before then, but but yep. not likely. Yep. And when you're the, the sole breadwinner for a small family, then it's important that, that you have that visibility to know that you need to be able to prepare. Absolutely. But that kind of goes to the, uh, the real value of that culture and that relationship. That's important that, that we share the, the medical health of the company. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, what else? Well... We feel like a, we did it. We did it, but we don't have a jetpack. What? Don't be blue sea. Don't be blue sea. <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't. But like, blue sea's already gone, so I know. it feels like not that culturally relevant, you know? What? Yeah, but people <laughs> remember. Blue sea's been gone for so like six is, months now. This is like, uh, what is it? Uh, if you're the last one out of Seattle, turn off the light. <laughs> Okay, how about that then? Last one out of Seattle, turn out the light. Last one out of Blue Sea, turn out the light. I don't know. That seems like kind of depressing, though. I feel like maybe it's something more positive. Yeah, like what? I don't know. That's that's what I'm saying. We don't yeah. have a jetpack. We're here again. We're always here because it's because you're too serious during the Man, podcast. I just I just nailed it. Yeah, it's true. You nailed it. Uh, <laughs> you have something about the bungee ladders. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, bungee ladders? I mean, hashtag ladder safety? 
Uh, what did we talk? We talked about you and your your circular saw. Uh-huh. You didnoed the the ladders Dino'd. with. <laughs> I didn't dino the ladders. Yeah, <laughs> dino. That's a musician. I know it is. People, your most valuable tools. No, people aren't tools except the people that are tools. Don't be a tool. <laughs> Don't be a tool. Invest in your tools. People aren't tools. Hashtag people aren't tools. But they are. Or. So you have to choose your, it's like a choose your own adventure. Okay. You have to choose your own hashtag. Hashtag people aren't tools or hashtag people are tools. How about if you were a tool, what would it be? Oh, okay. Huh? Hashtag pick your tool. Mm-hmm. Choose your own tool venture. Like what if you're like a superhero, mm-hmm. but like of also tools. a power tool? Yeah. Like Like all of the power tools are superheroes, then what are you? I would want to be a Sawzall, because you could do just about anything with one of those. Sawzall man? <laughs> Sawzall man. Sawzall man. And his sidekick, Jigsaw Boy. <laughs> just because a Jigsaw seems like a smaller version a of one? a Sawzall, yeah. you know? Yeah. Okay, I like this. Okay, so then what's what am I? What power tool am I? <laughs> Think carefully before you answer. <laughs> answer carefully. <laughs> answer carefully. Well, I feel like you're like a CNC machine. Okay. All right. How's that? Hmm? Just very precise, and you can't do anything unless you have a program? Yeah, that's okay. All right. And, like, if you, like, like let it get, like, too, like, unmaintained, mm-hmm. then it'll just, like, lock up and quit working on you? Like, yep. is, it, is it real persnickety in yes. particular? Okay, perfect. Yeah. I'll be, then, then does that make me, like, CNC woman? <laughs> CNC girl? CNC factory. Lady CNC? <laughs> See, what does CNC stand for? Computer something something. Okay, okay. Can I be like computer, computer numerical, numerical control. control? I'm digging this. Can I be like dark CNC? <laughs> Can I do that? What is it? Dark CNC. Dark CNC. You know, like Dark it's Phoenix. Like dark Phoenix. Dark okay. CNC. All right. Can I do that? All right. So then, you and me together are Sawzall, Sawzall Man, Man and Dark CNC. <laughs> See, I like it. Yeah. So message us on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever you, can find you want. Us. And tell no, not yet. You can't find us yet. You can find First, us. This is part of the jetpack. It's a game this week. Okay. So let us know what your power tool superhero is and you can join the the our cinematic universe Ooh, you know i like it <laughs> the arcade cinematic universe it's a thing watch for it you know right now this seems like a very funny joke mm-hmm. two years from now we're like making some dumb movie with everybody's <laughs> power tool superheroes i love it so you can find us you can find us at www.thecriticalpathwithmaryandjason.com you can find us on whatever podcast app you listen to podcasts on. I, I get mine on Snagit. Snagit is like a an application for screen caps. Uh, that's where I get my podcasts. You listen to podcasts on a screen capture application? Yeah. I'm like, can you convert that to an audio file? And it's like, yes, I can. Yeah. Dark CNC says, I don't know about all that. <laughs> you, you can, can find us on LinkedIn. And Jason Sturgeon, Mary Sturgeon. You can find there. We actually do have a company page there too. You can find us just off the West Seattle Bridge. Yes, you can. Come in and have a cup of coffee. Tell us all about your superhero origin story. Love it. Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, 
we still haven't lined up a lot of guests, which if you want to come and be a guest, let us know. But we haven't lined up a lot of guests, but when we get guests, then we should introduce our guests by making them tell us their power tool superhero Ooh. and origin story. Okay, and origin story. Or not. I, I mean, either it. way. Okay. We'll work on our origin stories for next week. Got it. All right. Watch for it. Watch for it. Well, we done? I guess watch for it. I don't know that we have a lot of outtakes. I think we do. Do we? I think you can use some old stuff. I don't have any old stuff. What? You don't bank it? I, you know, by the end of every episode, like, whatever I didn't use usually isn't that great. Like, I usually use all the, all the money, and then, like, what's left is just meh. You know? No money shop. No, no, that's, no. This is a family podcast. Family podcast. Well, what are the outtakes? I I guess there aren't any. What? Yeah, I guess. Everyone's going to be screaming. No, they'll cry. It's too bad. I have to cry. I guess so. No outtakes. No outtakes. Not this week. It's an outtake this week. Watch for it. It's too serious. It is. Watch for it. Got really serious all of a sudden. This was a really serious podcast. It was. Serious subject. Actually, back to that. that. Oh, see, maybe I'll put some of that into the outtakes. Then everybody can understand what the relevance is all along of you and your clearing your throatness. Hit record. Out of your system now? Yeah. You good? No more. Except for that. You probably will. Okay. Like, that's usually what you do during the episodes when you're judging me. Uncomfortable? No, when you're judging me. Like, when you want to make fun of me, you don't even have to say anything. You just clear your throat, and that's all you have to do. Yeah. I, it's like, uh, like boss, can I, can I have a raise? <clears throat> uh, I'm going to get back to him. Yeah, but you do it more like, I'll be like, no, and then, like, this thing is a really good idea. And you're like... <clears throat> No, it is. It definitely is. Okay, here we go. Ready? Um, I think so. Are you ready? Let's do it.